morning, with the Lord's help, I want to I want to preach on the idea that the fire must be kept. And I want to do it a little bit, kind of testimony form, just kind of sharing my personal experience since coming to know the Lord uh, more than two decades ago. I've been in church now for about 24 years, and uh, one of the things that I've you know, witnessed with my own eyes, and I'm sure many of you have as well, is that there's a very small group of people that maintain their Christian fire regularly, constantly. There's a very small group of people that you can point to that you know in your life that you can look at and say that man or that woman is just always on fire for God, consistent throughout the year. Doesn't matter what year it is, what time of year it is, you know that individual just lives a life where they seem to be on fire for God all the time. And I want to I want to address the question of how do we live that way? What does it take to live a life where you are truly as a Christian burning with passion and holy spirit fire in your walk with the Lord? The group of people who do that is a very small group of people. Almost everybody that is a Christian can point to a time in their life that they would sort of say, that period of my life, I was pretty on fire for the Lord. For many people, it's the first part of their faith. It's right after they got saved, everything's changed, they're very excited about serving the Lord. It seems like that's all they want to talk about, it's all they care about. They go to bed thinking about it, they wake up thinking about it, they think about it through the day, and it's all that matters to them. But then something changes and the fire begins to dwindle and burn. Unfortunately, in my life, I've seen it happen too many times. I've seen people who were once, I mean, on fire for God. It's as if their fire has dwindled so much, there's not even a visible fire there. There's not even a visible, you know, there's just no power there. There's no more witness there. And so the question is why? And the question is what can be done about it? How can we live a life where we are consistently, if you will, at our, you know, where we need to be with the Lord, on fire for the Lord? We are consistently demonstrating a life of closeness to God. And so this morning, that's what I want to work on. I want to talk about that. Our text is going to be Leviticus 6, verses 9 through 13. Would you stand with me as we honor together the reading of God's Word? Beginning in verse 9, God says to Moses, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth on the altar all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment, and put his linen undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar, and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garment, and put on the other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp to, clean, to, clean, to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it, it shall not go out. 
The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. The fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. One last time, verse 13. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. You can be seated. So the Lord gave Moses these instructions concerning the fire on the brazen altar in the tabernacle. And so God had led his people through the Red Sea. He had set the slaves free. He's now giving Moses instructions on how God's people ought to live. And a a tabernacle has been erected. God's given Moses all the directions for the tabernacle. And he's telling Moses, the fire on the brazen altar, this fire must burn continually. Now, the fire represented a handful of things for God's people. It represented the fact that God had created a way for man to approach God. So God had came, he had given instructions, and this way was through the atonement of sacrifice. As the smoke would ascend towards heaven, it was a picture that payment had been risen up to God. This smoke could be seen for miles, as far as you could see smoke in the sky. You could see smoke ascending, a reminder that God had come to be with man. It's a very important word, with. In the Old Testament, we have God with man And man is capable of approaching God only through sacrifice and really the the high priest once a year. It's interesting, God said the fire has to burn continually. So they didn't just make it at the time of day when they would do sacrifices. Instead, the fire had to burn continually, day and night. There was a night shift of priests whose job was to keep the fire burning through the night even though People weren't showing up with sacrifices. It teaches us the importance of this fire to God. It was a symbol that our ability to approach God was continual. And it was important enough to God that He wanted this symbol constantly burning. Now that's Old Testament. In the New Testament, we no longer have a physical fire that burns. Instead, it is a spiritual fire that burns in the heart of all true believers. When John was introducing, John the Baptist was introducing Jesus, here's what John said about it in Matthew 3 and verse 11. Speaking of Jesus, John said, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. We now have the Holy Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2 dwelling in man. And so this is what's awesome about the work of Christ. In the Old Testament, we have God coming to be with us. But when Jesus did what Jesus did, we now have God coming to live in us. And this physical fire that once pointed forward to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is now an individual fire that dwells in the hearts of true believers. The Bible tells us that God is a consuming fire. And fire changes everything that it touches. You can trust that if the Holy Spirit of God has touched your life, 
it has changed something in you. Now, while in the Old Testament they were keeping a physical fire, we don't keep a physical fire up anymore, but it is our job to keep the fire burning in our own hearts. And I want to, you know, sometimes there's certain analogies that, that only push so far. We can't, uh, you know, you, you could quit putting wood on a fire in the Old Testament and the fire would have died. You can't make the Holy Spirit die. But you can quench the Holy Spirit in your life. In fact, one of the commands, we see this in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Look what it says. Do not quench the Spirit. Just leave that up there for a quick moment. This verse, those are the only words in the entire verse. Do not quench the Spirit. If you have a hard time memorizing Scripture, this is your day, folks. Five very simple words. Do not quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Now you got your Scripture memorization for the day. What I want you to see there is that us being commanded not to quench the Spirit clearly, unmistakably, and undeniably is proof you can quench the Spirit. You can quench the Spirit in your life, and when you do, you will find that your spiritual fire begins to dwindle. You'll find that you're not burning like you once burned for the Lord. You're, 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 that fire is not there. We are now the temple of the living God. Look what 1 Corinthians 6.19 says. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So now there's no longer a temple or a tabernacle. But God literally dwells inside of his sons and daughters. So I want to ask this question. If it was important to God that in the Old Testament the fire be kept continually burning, that it be tended to every day, and that it burn bright, and that smoke ascends so that for miles people could see it burning 24-7. If it was important to God that the Old Testament fire, which was nothing more than a shadow that pointed forward to the substance of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, if that fire was important for God, that it be dealt with correctly, that it, be, that it burn bright, how much more important is it that you and I have the fire in our lives burning with a sense of brightness so that the world around us can see the Lord working through us? So the question is, how do we do that? This morning I'm going to share with you eight rules to living a continual fire for God living with a continual fire for God. I've been preaching now for 23 years. Never in my life have I had a tagline that had the word rules in it. If you've listened to me preach over the years, I use the word principles, lessons, reasons. Never have I used the word rules. Because a lot of things are principles. They don't always apply perfectly to every single individual. And so I very cautiously and intentionally, for the first time in my life, am using the word rules this morning. A rule is something you have to do. And I believe that these are rules. That if you don't do these things, your spiritual fire will be impacted. That's what I believe with all of my heart. And so I'm going to share with you Eight rules to living with a continual fire for God. Number one, you are responsible.
responsible for your fire. It's your job to tend the fire in your own life. Don't think that it's someone else's responsibility to keep your fire burning. The emphasis is on you. Not your church, not me, not your pastor, not your Bible study, not your friends, not your mom, not your dad, not your husband, not your wife. It is your job to deal with your fire for God. Nobody else's but yours. And if you don't accept responsibility for that, you will never get to a place where your fire is burning like it should be for the Lord. I've seen so many folks that don't have much of a fire for the Lord, and, and, when, and they start talking about where they're at spiritually, and they want to point at everybody else. It's so-and-so's fault. It's this person's fault. It's the church's fault. Hypocrites this, hypocrites that. It's always shocking to me. It's like, so what, are you just going to join and be a hypocrite yourself? It's just such a nonsense answer. My husband don't do this. My wife don't do that. My parents don't do this. At the end of the day, you will stand before God and give an account for your own life, and all those excuses will melt to nothing. You are responsible for your fire. And until you own that, you'll never deal with it properly. You know, if you think that your spiritual life, that your spiritual fire, if you think that somehow it is tied to everybody else, then you're going to live your life in a lie thinking that you're handcuffed. Well, I can't be all I can be for God until brother so-and-so acts straight. I can't be all I can be for God until my husband changes. Can't be all I can be for God until my wife changes, or my parents change, or my kid does this, or the church does this, or the pastor finally learns how to preach right, or the people finally learn how to sing right. You, you'll be handcuffed your entire life. If you're going to make your spiritual life contingent upon everybody else around you doing what they should do, and you've got to recognize God is bigger than that. And you've got, to, you've got to get to see that you, plus God, it is enough. And your fire can burn as bright as any person's spiritual fire has ever burned if you will be willing to look yourself in the mirror and be honest that you are the only person that has control over what your spiritual life looks like. If you're here this morning and your fire has dwindled and you want to know why, walk to the bathroom and look yourself in the mirror. It's your fault. You might not want to hear that, but it is the truth. And this is a rule of living with a life that where you walk and you live with a life that's on fire for God. You've got to take responsibility for your fire because I can't make it burn for you and nobody else can. It is your job and your job alone. Number two, do not be fooled by ashes. We read it in our text that the ashes had to be taken and removed. You know what ashes are? Ashes are proof, and they are proof. They are proof that there once used to be a fire. And there are a lot of people who will look back on yesteryear's ashes, and they'll talk about once a time in my life, way back yonder, there was a time when I was on fire for God, and I did this, and I did that, and I lived this way, and I was, I was in church every service, and I was in Bible study, and I was doing this, and serving here, and serving there. Whoop-de-doo. Where are you at today? 
The fact that there are ashes that prove there was once a fire in your life is not evidence that you're where you need to be with God right now. And we've got to get those ashes and take them out. In fact, there's, there is some symbolism to the fact if you don't get the ashes out of your life, it'll choke out a fire eventually when there's too much ash. You've got to remove them. And you can't be fooled and think, well, you know, because of what once was. That everything must be good now. That's just not true. The fire must be kept burning continually. There are a lot of churches, ministries, people whose lives have dwindled to almost nothing because they refuse to take out the ashes. All they want to do is talk about what once was. All they want to do is keep things the way they always were. And there was a fire and it was a real fire and it was a good fire and it was a God fire. It was real. But they want to live off that for the next 10 or 15 or 20 years. And God's trying to do a new thing. But they're like, well, we don't want to take that out. We don't want to change that. You cannot live your life on yesterday's fire. The reality is that this points to the fact that God wants a continual relationship with us. That it's not about getting a fire burning one time. And then washing your hands of it and walking away and say, I did my Christian thing. No, this is a regular, daily thing that must happen. Number three, you've got to protect your fire. Don't put yourself around people that are constantly trying to throw water on your spiritual life. That's crazy. These people are doing the devil's work that are trying to destroy your, 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 your zeal for God. Why would you put yourself around people regularly that are trying to destroy your spiritual life? It's just nonsense or in people or places. Don't put yourself around situations where your fire, your spiritual fire is constantly being attacked. It just doesn't make sense. And this is one area that I feel like, especially young Christians a lot of times, and by young, I mean immature. I mean, you could be a Christian for 10 years and still be immature. Where immature Christians, a lot of times, they misapply the Scripture. And they know they're doing it. But, you know, they're like, well, Jesus sat with sinners. Listen, Jesus did sit with sinners. He did not sin with sinners. Those are two very different things. And when He sat with them, he invited them to leave where they were and follow him, not the other way around. You've got to be very careful, especially when you're, you're weak in your faith and you're young in your faith, somehow justifying your Christian life, constantly being around people who are influencing you to sin, who are not happy about your Christian walk, who don't really want to see you succeed spiritually. Instead, they want to see you stop talking about it so much, quit being so serious about it. Why do you think you got to go to church all the time? You, listen, you've got to get those people out of your life. You've got to protect your fire. And I'll say it again, nobody can do it for you but you. Number four, you have to stay focused. This is my most boring point. But here's the thing. You walk away from a fire very long, and it dwindles. And you've got to stay focused. 
You've got to, you, you, you have to recognize that the way that God designed this thing, it's on purpose. And, and it's, also, it's awesome when you start to understand why God designed it this way on purpose. It's because God does not want a situation with you where some magical event one time in your life is all that ever happens. God wants you coming back to him daily and hourly. And that's just his design because he wants relationship. And he says this fire, it can burn and it can burn bright. However, you, got, you can't get distracted. You've got to stay focused on making sure that you're constantly doing what you need to do in your life to build that fire. And this is why I say this is one of the most boring points. A lot of the work that goes into maintaining a spiritual fire, it's work. And it's not always glorious. And it's not always fun. I can, I can confess to you as your pastor, I don't like reading the Bible all the time. The only time I like reading the Bible is when I'm reading it and it feels like I'm really in it and I'm getting it. But I don't always feel that way. Honestly, I probably don't feel that way about half the time. There are a lot of times for me, it's like eating sand. I'm like, this is rough hoeing this morning. What is this about? And I'm not feeling it. And I'm thinking to myself, I'd better just close this thing up. But you, you just have to choose not to get distracted. you got to stay focused. And, and folks, we are living in a time when there are a million distractions. We are distracted at every turn. It takes work. And I'm telling you, if you want to live a life that is on fire for God, and you don't want to be mediocre in your faith, and you want to be strong spiritually, you have got to just stay focused and do the small things daily that you're supposed to do. You cannot get distracted. Number five, build a stockpile of wood. If you're going to have a fire that burns continually, you have got to have a stockpile somewhere to be throwing logs on that fire. You've got to go get it. You've got to do the work for it. And you've got to stock it up so that it's there when you need it. You know, I actually have a, uh, two wood-burning fireplaces in my house. I like burning wood. I like fire. I just always have. I think fire is cool to watch. I like being around it. And I like to make a fire sometimes, even when it's not cold enough to justify a fire. But how foolish would it be if I was dependent upon fire for heat in my family? How foolish would I be to wait until snow falls, it's 10 degrees outside, to decide, well, I better get out into the woods, cut down a tree, cut it up in logs small enough I can split, and then start splitting wood. It's too late. I, I, I should have already done that work before the day ever came when I was dependent upon wood to be there in the fire. And so, You've got to stockpile wood. And I want to reference those times in my life when I'm studying the Word of God and it doesn't really feel like I'm getting anything out of it. There have been times, more times than I know, there have been times in my life 
where years down the road, all of a sudden, in a situation, the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance, to my memory, something that in the past I had studied or read, and when I had read it or heard it in the past, it didn't really seem all that significant then. And then all of a sudden, in this moment, there it is. The Holy Spirit brings to my mind what I had studied years ago or heard preached years ago or, or, or heard while I was listening maybe to Christian radio or something. The Holy Spirit brings something to my mind that in the time, I didn't think nothing of it. But I had stockpiled it out of discipline. You're going to find that when you come to church, not every single time that you show up to church is it going to feel like, man, that was just a home run. That was what I needed this week. But trust me, it is the discipline of stockpiling, hearing the Word of God, studying the Word of God, hours in prayer. It's just those small disciplines of doing it as a way of life that in your moment of time when you need to have strength and you need to have some fortitude in you and you've got something that you're facing and you need some of that Holy Ghost fire in your life to power you through it, you'll find it's in those moments you have the strength to do what you need to do because you were disciplined ahead of time and you were faithful to these things that we need to be doing to build fire in our lives. You've got to be disciplined and build a stockpile. Ultimately, God is the source of our fire. It's the Holy Spirit. I would say it this way. We need more of God. For those of you that, you know, you're like, well, we have all of God there is to have. Well, then help me understand how Peter was filled with the Spirit seven times in the book of Acts. Help me understand then why it matters that if you draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. If He's already near, then what's He drawn near to? The Bible does teach us that our actions play a significant impact in our walk with God. That's indisputable. And if you want a life that burns consistently for the Lord, you've got to learn to stockpile that spiritual wood. Number six, put something new on the fire regularly. So, it's one thing to stockpile it. It's another thing to use it. And I know, and you know, people who can talk Scripture all day long. People who can quote the Word. People, that some of them are even churchgoers. And they, they do this and they do that. And they can talk Christian circles around most of their co-workers and friends. And yet, there's not a real fire burning in them whatsoever, and they do nothing for the cause of Christ. It's not enough to know the answer. You've got to do something with it. And you know what you're going to find is that most of the time when your fire is dwindling, you don't want to put fire on it. You don't want to put wood on it. You don't want to go to the stockpile and do what you need to do. Prove it. You know when you're upset, you're bitter, you're mad somebody did you wrong, your little feelings are hurt, fire's dwindling, your love for people's growing cold, your love for the things of God's growing cold, and ultimately you feel like you've been done wrong. All of a sudden your mind goes back to that log, that wood that you've spent the time to develop sitting right outside the door, and there's the word. 
forgive, lest you not be forgiven. And you're thinking, I ain't grabbing that thing. Putting that on my fire. And that's why you dwindle. A certain thing going on in your life that you know need, you need to change, you need to repent of, and the Word of God reminding you that, and you're like, no, I'm not going to pick that up. I know God's Word says that I need to change this about my life. I know that God's Word says this certain thing in my life, the way I'm living is wrong, but I'm not going to do anything with what I know is true and what I've stockpiled because I don't want to change. So you have to choose. You have to choose to put the wood on the fire. And this spiritual fire that I'm talking about, we don't get to choose what the wood is. This is it, folks. It's the Word of God. It's the commands of God. It's the will of God. And if you're going to burn bright for God, the only thing you can do is take His Word, His commands, and apply them to your life. Live by them. And so it's not enough to simply know what God's Word says. That does not make you spiritual. In fact, it makes you equally or doubly damned, according to the Word of God if you don't do something with what you know. Jesus said it'd be better for you to have never even known. What's coming for you who know, and you got all this spiritual knowledge, and you don't actually do something with it, what Jesus says was coming for you, it's worse than had you never even known the truth. Because you do know the truth, and you do nothing with it. That's a horrifying thought. So don't think you're super spiritual. Right? These are rules. Yes, you've got to stockpile wood. Don't think that's it. You've got to take that wood and do something with it. You've got to put it where it goes. You've got to make your fire burn. And you've got to do something regularly. Here's the reality. I've been doing this 24 years, or some of you here have been doing this 40 or 50 years. And you can testify even greater than I. Here's the reality. This Christian journey is a journey, and it never ends, and we never reach the finish line until we die, and we can go see Jesus face to face. There is always something you can be working on in your life. And those who are constantly burning bright for God, those who are on fire for God, are the type of folks that are constantly and honestly and regularly saying, God, what is it you're needing to do in my life this week? What's the attitude you need to be dealing with this week? What is it you're trying to lead me to do this week? And, and, and we got to be willing to take that log, put it on the fire, and do the work that the Holy Spirit does, reprove us of sin, cleanse us. We, we've got to be willing to put the fresh wood on the fire. Number seven, make your environment favorable for fire. Now, earlier I mentioned protecting your fire, right? Not putting yourself around people and places who are intentionally trying to stop your Christianity. This is the reverse of that. You want to put yourself intentionally in places that are favorable towards fanning the flames of your spiritual fire. You got to put yourself in the right environment. You got to be around the right people. D.L. Moody was a pastor in Chicago, and he had a woman in his congregation that had just quit coming to church for a couple months, and so he thought, well, I'm going to go by this lady's house, I'm going to knock on her door, see how she's doing. And so he stops in, she invites him in, they sit down, they have some tea, and uh, he just eventually asked her, hey, we've missed you, noticed you've been gone, 
And uh, what she said, in essence, was there was a couple of weeks where she wasn't able to be there, but then she started to feel disconnected from everybody. Nobody really reached out. And she just really got, you know, she started to have second thoughts about the church, second thoughts about whether this is where she's supposed to be. So she's just not going anywhere. Rather than argue with her, the El Moody got up as if he was uh, tending the fire in her, um, in her wood-burning fireplace. And with the, the wood tongs, he grabbed a piece of wood that was on the fire and pulled it out of the fire and set it away from the rest of the fire. And he sat down. He didn't say anything about it. And uh, quickly, as a piece of wood would do, quickly, it started to burn out, and then you just have smoke coming from the wood. And uh, the lady's curiosity eventually gets to her, and she's, why'd you do that? And he said that wood was burning just fine as long as it was next to the rest of the wood. But when you take it and you remove it from the fire, it can't burn all by itself. And he just said, could it be that this is why you're feeling the way you feel, ma'am? A lot of truth to that. A lot of truth to that. That's why you, you want to be intentional. You want to, you want to live a life where you are constantly on fire for God. You need to be around others who are on fire for the Lord as well. You need to put yourself in an environment that's favorable towards it. You know, there's been folks that have uh, come to the well before, sometimes unchurched, sometimes they were churched, that after a month or so um, have reported, in, in a serious handful of people, they've reported there's just there's sort of a stirring in my soul since being here. Uh, some of them in church for years. And then afterwards, you know, being here for a month or six weeks or maybe a little longer, maybe not even a month. But they're saying, hey, there's this fire that's burning in my heart. And, and it's, it's awesome. And I want to thank God for that. I want to thank God for that atmosphere. But it's not rocket science. At the end of the day, what happened was is you entered into an environment that was more favorable for fire. And if you're going to live a life where you are consistently on fire for the Lord, you need to be putting yourself in places and around people who are favorable for fire. And finally, this morning, and in my opinion, the most important, if you're going to continue to keep your fire burning, you're going to have to know why. Meditate regularly on why it matters. If you don't know that it matters, you probably won't do steps one through seven consistently all of your life. I mean, why does it matter? If you're going to go to heaven anyways, who gives a rip? I've had people basically argue that with me. I've had people tell me, you know what? As long as I've got a shack up there, that's all I care. That was a justification for not living really right with the Lord. I know I'm saved. Who cares? Decent point. I mean, who does care? Why does it matter that you live on fire for God? If you don't know why, I sincerely believe that there will come a time in your life that you decide it's not worth all the work. 
It's not worth going out and cutting down the tree. It's not worth getting the wood. It's not worth pushing myself through hours of Bible study when I don't feel like studying. It's not worth spending time in the prayer closet when I don't feel compelled to the prayer closet. It's not worth all the work it takes to be on fire for God. If you don't know why, I agree. It's not worth it. So you need to understand why, and you need to take time regularly in your life to meditate on why does it matter that I am as on fire for God as I can be. I'm going to close with that point. We've got to understand the purpose. Why did God want the fire to be kept burning continually? First of all, it's not about us. It's not even primarily for us. Now, I will contest that the Christian who lives his or her life on fire for God does live a more fulfilling Christian life. I, will, I can test that. I believe that with all of my heart. However, the purpose of you being on fire for the Lord is not primarily about you. It is about your witness. It is about others. It is about your influence. It is about the expansion of God's kingdom. I want us to look. So Paul is an older pastor who is writing to a younger pastor. Really, his, his chief disciple, Timothy. And Paul is actually, this is the last letter that Paul ever wrote before he died. Second Timothy. And I want you to look at what Paul says about this fire that's inside of Timothy. And then Paul gives the reason why it matters that Timothy tends his fire. You'll find it in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6-9. through 9, I'm going to comment through each verse. Verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So first of all, Paul says, for this reason, I'm getting ready to show you why you need to fan into flame the gift of God. Notice, as I've already pointed out in point one, whose responsibility is it to fan Timothy's flame? Timothy's. It's your job to tend your fire. So we fan into flame the gift of God, and why? Verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Here we see one of the reasons why it's important to have a flame that's burning bright for God is because if you don't, you become a coward, spiritually speaking. God did not give us a spirit of fear. And he's telling Timothy, he's going to mention it, you're going to have to suffer for the gospel. Timothy, what you're called to do is going to lead you to some very real suffering. And if you're fearful and you're a coward, you won't do it. God did not give you a spirit of fear. And so when you fan into flame the gift of God that's in you, what it will do is the opposite of that. It'll make you bold. It will make you powerful. It will give you the strength to stand and face the multitudes when the multitudes are standing against you. Notice also, I think it's really interesting that the, that the Word of God here tells us self-control is part of having a fire that's burning bright for God. It's interesting, but we know it's true. When our spiritual flame starts to dwindle, we, are, we start to lose self-control spiritually. 
We start to do things that we simply wouldn't do when we were on fire for God. Another very important reason why it matters that your fire is burning bright for God. Let's look at verse 8 through 9. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Let me, let me say in, in simple terms, I want to pick out some of the words Paul uses here in these four verses. And in simple terms, this is what he says. You need to fan into flame. The, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit that's in you, you need to fan it into flame. That gives us the picture, if you've ever you know, made a physical fire, of like fanning it until it starts to burn bright. He says, you need to do that in your own life so that you'll be bold and you won't be fearful and you'll have self-control. And when people try to come against you, you won't be ashamed of the gospel. But instead, with boldness, you'll proclaim it and you'll live a life worthy of it and you will, you will uh, step into or accept or embrace whatever you want, word you want to use. What Paul said is a holy calling. So all of us have a holy calling to be a bright example for Jesus Christ. And we are only able to do that at our best when we are burning brightly for him. Now, this really, really matters to the people in your life who primarily are looking to you as their spiritual leader. You've heard, you know, you've heard it said that you might be the only Bible somebody ever reads at your workplace. And when you recognize that your influence with people and you sincerely think about their soul, heaven and hell are real places, folks. Eternal places. And you think about the souls of the people in your life that you impact. I will ask it this way. What could possibly matter more to you than being on fire for God? That's why it matters. It's not primarily about you. It's not about us, folks. It's about expanding God's kingdom. It's about being a sincere light that is burning bright on this hill that cannot be hidden. It is about living a life for God that's got enough power about it, enough light about it, enough fire about it that we influence the people that God brings us in contact with. I'm going to ask our worship team if you guys would come and I want to close with a final verse. You know, this fire, it makes us bold. It makes us brave. And I want to explain what I mean by that. It, it, when you're on fire for the Lord and you've got the fire of God burning in your heart, it does not mean that you're always going to feel wonderful. It does not mean that it's always going to be fun. That it's always going to be easy. Jeremiah was a prophet that did exactly what God told him to do, preached exactly what God told him to preach, and he ended up hated for it. Nobody would listen. And in addition to nobody listening, as if that was bad enough or wasn't bad enough, he ends up in prison for it. And Jeremiah, like most of us, had the attitude, what's the point? Why in the world would I keep saying anything if nobody's going to listen 
Nobody's going to change. I'm only going to be persecuted for it. But look at this, the, the context of fire here. In Jeremiah 29, here's what he said about it all. If I say that I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary with holding it in. And I cannot. <laughs> See, being on fire for God doesn't mean you always feel like you're on fire for God. Here the man says, I feel like just keeping my mouth shut. But I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. Because there's a fire in my bones. And it doesn't matter how I feel. There's something deeper inside me that is more powerful and stronger. And it compels me forward. I can't keep silent. I can't stop. I can't give up. I must do what God's called me to do. The fire of the Holy Spirit, folks, it's really what empowers us to impact this world. And nothing else will do. Only the Holy Ghost fire burning hot and bright will accomplish God's will in your life. No wonder the fire must be kept. This morning, what does your fire look like? Has it been kept? Has it burned out? I promise you this, if you'll listen to me, there's people here this morning, you're not where you need to be with God and you know it and you're discouraged. Listen to me carefully. Building a fire is not rocket science. It is not as hard as you think it is to get back to where you need to be. You are not a million miles away from God. You are one step away from God. You have simply got to do these things that you've got to do. And they are not hard, but you've got to be committed to them. It does not matter who you are, how far you feel like you've fallen, where you're at this morning, you need to hear me. You are one step away from God. And you just need to start tending the fire. Praise the Lord. What does your fire look like today? What do you need to do in your life that only you can do to get your fire burning bright? Is there anything in your life more important 